Welcome to the October 27th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the role of epigenetic regulator genes in lineage switching in MLLAF4 leukemia. Learn more about the efficacy of ibrutinib in mantle cell lymphoma with central nervous system relapse. And discuss the findings from a phase 3 trial of gilteritinib plus azacitidine in patients with newly diagnosed FLT3-mutated AML. Our first blood article is entitled, Epigenetic Regulator Genes Direct Lineage Switching in MLL-AF4 Leukemia by Ricky Turtakasuma and Katarzyna Soltizek from Newcastle University in the United Kingdom and colleagues. Rearrangement of KMT2A, also commonly referred to as the mixed lineage leukemia, or MLL gene, encodes the lysine methyltransferase 2A. Translocations involving MLL characterize a group of high-risk acute leukemias of lymphoid, myeloid, or mixed phenotype lineage. Among the different types of rearrangements, the most common is the MLL-AF4 gene fusion, which is found in approximately 70% to 80% of cases of infant acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL, and is typically associated with a poor prognosis. Despite having a lymphoid lineage presentation, MLL-AF4 leukemias are frequently characterized by a lineage switch to a myeloid phenotype upon relapse. Research to date has shown that lineage plasticity often leads to the loss of original therapeutic targets and diminished treatment efficacy. For example, the loss of CD19 expression can render blinitumumab and CD19 CAR T-cell therapy ineffective. Several potential mechanisms for lineage shift have been proposed, including emergence of a de novo unrelated leukemia, treatment-induced selection of primitive pluripotent progenitors and their differentiation toward an alternate lineage, or epigenetic and transcriptomic reprogramming of lineage-committed blasts. To explore the molecular basis of lineage switching, the authors examined a unique cohort of patients with MLL-AF4-positive ALL who relapsed with AML. The study included 12 cases of MLL-AF4-ALL, six infants, two pediatric cases, and two adults, who relapsed with AML, and two infants with MLL-AF4 mixed phenotype acute leukemia. All patient samples were collected at the point of diagnosis, remission following treatment, or relapse. Mononuclear cells were isolated from the bone marrow or peripheral blood, followed by immediate extraction of DNA or RNA, or cryopreservation. Gene expression data from matched lymphoid presentations and myeloid relapses were analyzed and compared. Gene expression analysis revealed that lineage switch was accompanied by diminished expression of lymphoid transcription factors, surface marker genes, including PAX5, EBF1, CD19, CD20, and CD22, and immunoglobulin genes. In addition, upregulation of myeloid genes was observed, including CSF3R, which is the GCSF receptor, and members of the CEBP transcription factor family. Furthermore, lineage switch was associated with substantial changes in chromatin accessibility and rewiring of transcriptional programs. Analysis of chromatin accessibility showed that lymphoid myeloid switching, 
was accompanied with loss of occupancy of consensus binding sites for lymphoid transcription factors and increased occupancy of binding motifs for myeloid factors. In a subset of cases, lineage switch was accompanied by mutation and splicing alterations of epigenetic regulators, including the chromodomain heliocase DNA binding 4, or CHD4, which encodes the ATPase heliocase subunit of histone-modifying, nucleosome remodeling, and deacetylase complex, known as NERD. CHD4 was downregulated in AML relapses compared to matched cases of lymphoid lineage and differentially spliced in patients with mixed phenotype acute leukemia. Experiments conducted in leukemic cell lines and human cord blood found that knocking out either CHD4 or PHF3, a cofactor in RNA polymerase II-mediated transcription, increased CD33 and, in general, myeloid gene expression in the setting of MLL-AF4. Mutational analysis of sorted hematopoietic populations for MLL-AF4 and mutated CHD4 and PHF3 showed that both mutations are unique to the relapse cases and that myeloid relapse likely originates from a population of immature progenitor cells. Taken together, these findings indicate that lineage switching in MLL-AF4 leukemia is driven and maintained by disrupted epigenetic regulation. In their accompanying commentary, Ilaria Iacobucci and Charles Mulligan from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Tennessee note that these findings build upon previous studies in AML demonstrating the importance of the founding genomic alteration and cell of origin in lineage ambiguity. Single-cell sequencing studies conducted recently in MLL-rearranged leukemias support the hypothesis of a primitive hematopoietic stem and progenitor cell as a cell of origin. The authors of the current report further build on these findings by demonstrating that changes in chromatin state defined by secondary mutations in chromatin regulators may drive lineage shift under selective pressure. Iacobucci and Mulligan cite that gaining a better understanding of the mechanistic origins of lineage shift will be important in future studies to maximize the effectiveness of leukemic cell antigen-directed immunotherapy in these shape-shifting leukemias. Next up, we'll discuss the article entitled Ibrutinib Improves Survival Compared to Chemotherapy in Mantle Cell Lymphoma with Central Nervous System Relapse by Chiara Rusconi from the Fondazione IRCCS Istituto Nazionale Tumori in Milan, Italy, and colleagues, on behalf of Fondazione Italiana Lymphomi and European Mantle Cell Lymphoma Network. Mantle Cell Lymphoma, or MCL, is an uncommon form of non-Hodgkin lymphoma characterized by genomic instability and a relapsing and remitting course. Induction treatment with immunochemotherapy, followed by rituximab maintenance, remains the standard of care in the frontline setting. Relapsed refractory MCL is typically treated with bruton tyrosine kinase, or BTK, inhibitors, including ibrutinib, acalabrutinib, or zanubrutinib. The overall response rate and complete response rate to BTK inhibitors fall in the 70% and 20% range, respectively. Approximately 4% of patients with MCL will develop CNS relapse, which is associated with poor outcomes and for which standard treatment has not been established. MCL with CNS relapse is traditionally treated with intravenous or intrathecal chemotherapy, 
combined chemoradiotherapy or radiotherapy alone. While high-dose methotrexate and high-dose cytarabine are also widely used, the evidence for this approach has been largely extrapolated from diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Historically, the outcomes of patients with MCL-associated CNS relapse have been poor, with a median survival following CNS diagnosis of approximately five months, despite the use of systemic treatment with CNS-penetrant drugs. Ibrutinib monotherapy has proven effective in patients with a range of B-cell malignancies with CNS involvement due to its ability to penetrate the blood-brain barrier. To date, several case reports and small series have pointed to potential efficacy of ibrutinib in CNS-relapsed MCL. However, its safety and efficacy have not been established in large series. Therefore, the goal of the current study was to compare the clinical outcomes of a large cohort of patients with CNS-relapsed MCL treated with ibrutinib or chemoimmunotherapy. This multicenter observational retrospective cohort study included 88 patients with MCL and documented CNS involvement at relapse who received CNS-directed therapy between January 2000 and December 2019 across 38 participating centers in Europe. Patients were divided into three cohorts based on treatment received. The ibrutinib cohort included patients treated with ibrutinib only. The blood-brain barrier, or BBB cohort, included patients treated with chemotherapeutic agents known to cross the blood-brain barrier. And the other therapy arm included patients treated with miscellaneous treatments. The study's primary objective was to compare overall survival in the ibrutinib and blood-brain barrier cohorts. Secondary endpoints included progression-free survival, response rates, and factors predictive of survival. Median patient age was 65 years. 76% of patients were male, and median time from lymphoma diagnosis to CNS relapse was 16 months. In the ibrutinib cohort, 29 patients received the standard ibrutinib dose of 560 mg once daily. In the BBB group, 27 patients, or 93%, received high-dose methotrexate combined with high-dose cytarabine in 69%. Of 30 patients in the other therapy cohort, 57% received intrathecal chemotherapy alone, 20% received a bendamustine-based regimen, and 23% received palliation. Intravenous rituximab was added to 14% of patients in the ibrutinib cohort, 36% of patients in the BBB cohort, and 26% of patients in the other therapy cohort. The ibrutinib cohort had significantly higher median age and lower ECOG performance status compared to the BBB cohort, while other clinical characteristics were comparable between the two groups. A propensity score, based on a multivariable binary regression model, was used to minimize selection bias between the ibrutinib and BBB cohorts. Compared to the BBB cohort, ibrutinib treatment was associated with higher response rates, 78% versus 46%, superior overall survival, 16.8 months versus 4.4 months, and progression-free survival, 13.1 months versus 3 months. Multivariable Cox regression analysis found that ibrutinib therapy was the strongest independent predictor of a favorable outcome in terms of both overall and progression-free survival. CNS progression of disease greater than 24 months from first MCL diagnosis was the next strongest predictor of survival outcomes. 
There was no improvement in overall survival with addition of intrathecal chemotherapy to systemic CNS-directed therapy. The authors concluded that ibrutinib was associated with superior survival compared to blood-brain barrier-penetrating chemotherapy in patients with MCL with CNS relapse, which makes it a viable therapeutic option in this patient population. In an accompanying commentary, Jia Ruan from Weill Cornell Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital in New York notes that the study by Rusconi and collaborators is the largest case series to date providing strong evidence supporting the use of ibrutinib as an effective and safe targeted therapy for ibrutinib-naive MCL patients with CNS relapse. Ibrutinib may be an especially attractive option for MCL patients who are not candidates for intensive chemotherapy. The median progression-free survival for CNS relapse with ibrutinib monotherapy was 13.1 months, which is comparable to the median progression-free survival of 13.9 months reported previously for systemic relapsed refractory MCL. Ruan believes that future studies should determine whether mutated TP53 could serve as a biomarker of response or resistance of CNS disease, and whether high-risk disease with blastoid morphology could benefit from ibrutinib combinations, next-generation BTK inhibitors, such as acalabrutinib and zanubrutinib, or non-covalent BTK inhibitors, such as pirtubrutinib. Considering the wide adaptation of BTK inhibitors in systemic treatment regimens for relapsed refractory MCL and this demonstrated activity of ibrutinib in CNS relapse, Rowan wonders whether inclusion of ibrutinib in earlier lines of therapy could contribute to CNS protection or at least delay relapse in high-risk patients. Several ongoing randomized prospective phase 3 studies are exploring the efficacy of BTK inhibitors in the induction and maintenance settings, and follow-up of these data are eagerly awaited. In the final segment of today's podcast, we will discuss the report entitled Phase 3 Trial of Gilteritinib plus Azacitidine versus Azacitidine for Newly Diagnosed FLT3 Mutated AML Ineligible for Intensive Chemotherapy by Eunice Wang from Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center in Buffalo and colleagues. Patients with newly diagnosed FIMS-like tyrosine kinase 3 or FLT3-mutated AML who are not eligible for intensive chemotherapy have a poor prognosis. Activated FLT3 with two types of mutations, the tyrosine kinase domain, or TKD mutations, and internal tandem duplication, or ITD mutations, are present in 14% and 35% of AML cases, respectively. Mitostorin, in combination with standard induction chemotherapy regimens, is recommended for patients with newly diagnosed FLT3-mutated AML who are eligible for intensive chemotherapy. However, there is no universal standard treatment for patients with newly diagnosed FLT3-mutated AML who are considered unfit for intensive induction chemotherapy. Azacitidine prolonged overall survival versus conventional care regimens in a phase 3 trial of patients 65 years or older with AML. For patients with FLT3-mutated AML, ineligible for intensive chemotherapy, combination FLT3 inhibitors with hypomethylating agents has demonstrated synergistic cytotoxicity. Gilteritinib is a FLT3 inhibitor with demonstrated efficacy in patients with FLT3-mutated relapsed refractory AML. 
In a Phase three trial of patients with relapsed refractory FLT3-mutated AML, gilteritinib monotherapy significantly prolonged median overall survival compared to salvage chemotherapy. After two years, 14.2% of patients receiving chemotherapy and 20.6% of patients receiving gilteritinib monotherapy were still alive. Furthermore, in preclinical studies conducted in FLT3-ITD-AML cell lines, a combination of gilteritinib and azacitidine inhibited cell growth and induced apoptosis. This finding was confirmed in xenografted mouse models, with gilteritinib plus azacitidine showing superior anti-tumor efficacy versus gilteritinib or azacitidine alone. In the current Phase three lace wing study, the authors compared the safety and efficacy of gilteritinib plus azacitidine to azacitidine alone in adults with newly diagnosed FLT3-mutated AML who were ineligible for intensive induction chemotherapy. In this report, they present the safety, efficacy, and pharmacokinetic data from an interim analysis. Patients were accrued at 185 centers and randomized 2 to 1 to a 28-day cycle of gilteritinib 120 mg daily plus azacitidine 75 mg per meter squared by intravenous or subcutaneous route on days 1 to 7, or azacitidine alone. The trial also originally included a gilteritinib monotherapy arm, which was discontinued early on due to updates in preferred treatment approaches in this patient population. Overall survival was the primary endpoint. Event-free survival served as the key secondary endpoint and was defined as time from randomization until documented relapse from complete remission, treatment failure, or death due to any cause. At the interim analysis in August 2020, a total of 123 patients had been randomized, 74 to gilteritinib plus azacitidine and 49 to azacitidine monotherapy. Median overall survival was 9.82 months for the gilteritinib plus azacitidine group at median follow-up of 9.76 months and 8.87 months for the azacitidine group with a median follow-up of 17.97 months. The study was closed early based on the protocol-specified boundary for futility. Overall survival was also analyzed in patients with selected co-mutations. Patients with NPM1 and DNMT3A co-mutations had numerically longer survival if they received gilteritinib either alone or in combination with azacitidine, compared to azacitidine alone. In AML patients with a high FLT3-ITD allelic burden, overall survival was substantially longer following gilteritinib plus azacitidine treatment, with a median overall survival improvement of 6.3 months over azacitidine alone. This suggests that a higher allelic ratio may reflect disease that is more FLT3-dependent and or driven by FLT3 mutations, and that patients with higher allelic ratios may receive more benefit from combination therapy with gilteritinib. The complete response, or CR rate, was comparable between the two arms. However, the composite CR rate, defined by the sum of rates of complete remission plus complete remission with partial hematologic recovery, or incomplete platelet recovery, was significantly higher with combination therapy compared to azacitidine alone, namely 58.1% versus 26.5%. The proportion of patients receiving gilteritinib plus azacitidine with CR with incomplete hematological recovery was more than double that observed with azacitidine alone. 
patients achieving CR with incomplete blood count recovery with the combination may not have had sufficient follow-up time to develop a full CR. Median event-free survival was 0.03 months in both treatment arms. However, event-free survival, defined by composite CR, was 4.53 months in the combination arm and 0.03 months in the azacitidine arm. The rates of adverse events were similar in the two treatment arms. Grade 3 or higher events were slightly more frequent in patients receiving combination treatment compared to azacitidine alone, 95.9% versus 89.4%. Pyrexia and diarrhea were commonly reported in patients receiving combination therapy, occurring at a rate of 47.9% and 38.4% respectively. Gastrointestinal hemorrhage, an adverse event of special interest identified during animal studies, occurred in 12.3% and 6.4% of patients in gilteritinib plus azacitidine and azacitidine groups, respectively. Another adverse event of special interest, QT prolongation, occurred in 13.7% of patients receiving the combination and did not occur in patients receiving azacitidine alone. Pharmacokinetics experiments revealed no difference in the gilteritinib steady-state trough concentration between gilteritinib plus azacitidine and gilteritinib alone. The findings from Lacewing have several important clinical implications. Overall, the results support upfront therapy with gilteritinib plus azacitidine in older or unfit patients with FLT3-mutated AML. Potential reasons for the finding of non-significant overall survival include effects of subsequent AML therapies, differences in follow-up time due to study design change over the course of the study, a greater number of patients with worse functional status in the combination therapy arm, and the timing of overall survival analysis following early study termination. It is worth noting that time-to-next therapy for patients receiving azacitidine was shorter, and proportions of patients with a subsequent therapy were double that of patients receiving gilteritinib plus azacitidine. Ten of the 49 patients originally randomized to azacitidine subsequently initiated gilteritinib. Survival analysis in patients with select co-mutations indicates that patients with FLT3-ITD-positive AML with a high allelic burden or better performance status may have a greater benefit from combination therapy with gilteritinib. This initial observation should be explored in future studies. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.